Well, good morning, everybody. If you uh, have your Bibles, we'll be in the book, back in the book of Ephesians after our Easter services, um, Ephesians chapter 2. If you need Bibles, there's Bibles that are under the pews, and also um, you should have a handout there within your bulletins. If you need one, you can raise your hand and someone will bring one to you. Let's, uh, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning, Lord. Thank you for the saints that we are surrounded by. Those you have called by your name, saved through the precious gospel. Holy Spirit has come into us and given us new life. And you continue to mold us and to shape us and to conform us into your image, Lord. And we're thankful, Lord. I pray that you would do that this morning, Lord, as we approach your word. Teach us from your holy word, Lord, and enable us to use it as a a mirror to be able to see ourselves. And enable it to cause us to see you. We pray, Lord, that more and more you would teach us to think biblically. And we pray, Lord, that you would just meet every one of our personal needs, our spiritual needs, the needs within our friendships and our marriages and our families. and Use this, Lord, to time to conform us more into your image in that way, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Back in, in 1968, there was a woman by the name of Jane Elliott, who was a teacher. And on April 4th of, of 1968, she, she turned on the television and saw that Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. She was a third grade teacher. And the next day in, in class, she used that time to, to teach the kids a valuable lesson. Um, it actually took place over multiple days. But what she did was she, she had these kids, third grade kids in Iowa. You could imagine 1968, Iowa. Um, your third grade class would be pretty much the same ethnicity. A lot, a lot of Japanese folks out there at that time. Um, probably still not today. Um, but it was mostly just white kids that are in the class. And, and what she did was she separated the kids according to eye color. Blue-eyed kids and brown-eyed kids. And in the midst of this class, she told the blue-eyed kids that they were the superior group. She made the, the brown-eyed kids wear brown fabric collars so that they could easily be identified by their peers. She sat the, the blue-eyed kids in the front of the classroom, gave them second helpings at lunch, gave them access to the new jungle gym, and gave them five minutes extra at recess. Blue-eyed children were encouraged to play only with blue-eyed children and to ignore the brown-eyed kids. 
she would not allow brown-eyed and blue-eyed children to drink from the same drinking fountain. Brown-eyed kids would have to use paper cups. And, and then she would just bring up different negative things about the inferiority of the brown-eyed kids. And this took place over this couple of days of these brown or blue-eyed kids thinking that they were so superior to the brown-eyed kids. And it was interesting because these kids who were once friends, in a matter of minutes, saw that the blue-eyed kids were far better than the brown-eyed kids. Um, you can watch some of the videos, even just, uh, I watched one, and Natalie was watching with me, going, that's, not, that's wrong. <laughs> this isn't right. This isn't true. How, why is she saying that about blue-eyed kids versus brown-eyed kids? Daddy, that's not true. Why are they saying that? You know, and she's trying to process this thing and watching it, and I, later it's something like it, it was just an experiment. This is what they were doing. But you can see the, in, within one of the classes where she's saying to a brown-eyed kid, You're, you, said a, you said one time that your dad kicked you. No blue-eyed kid would ever be kicked by his dad. And just going on and on. Anybody that's blue-eyed been kicked by your dad? No one. It's only you. Only the brown-eyed, only brown-eyed people would be kicked by their dad. And you watch this in, in, in the period of a short period of time, Blue-eyed kids are punching the brown-eyed kids, making fun of them for being brown-eyed. Test scores of the brown-eyed kids went down. Test scores of the blue-eyed kids went up. The, the way they carried themselves, the way that they talked, the way that the brown-eyed kids would just look down at the ground and not look up at anybody else. It happened because of this divide that was taking place within a third-grade class. It doesn't take much for people to use differences amongst one another to try to feel good about yourself or try to put others down. Even yesterday we saw that a 19-year-old boy goes into a Jewish synagogue just down the road in Poway and kills somebody and wounds three, three others. question of race, a question of differences, a question of differences that are within the church. Those same things can come into our body as far as people wanting to feel a certain way about yourself, wanting to think of what, what position is superior, what place is superior. This week, with I don't, I'm not even quite sure how it came up, but by one of my kids, they said, wouldn't it have been cool to, to be a part of God's chosen people, Israel? I wish I was a part of God's chosen people, Israel. And what, what, what they didn't understand was that Tasha's, her grandmother was completely Jewish. Um, she went into hiding in Belgium during World War II. Her husband, who was not Jewish, hit her throughout the entirety of the war. And Tasha's mom and Tasha and her siblings grew up hearing from the grandma, don't ever tell anybody you're Jewish. Whatever you do, don't ever tell anybody you're Jewish. 
Because in their mind, it was, in her mind, it was, this will happen again. At some point, this will happen again. Don't ever tell anybody you're Jewish. And so I explained to the kids, no, you actually, on your mom's side, you do have some Jewish descent. I don't think on your dad's side that that's the case. Um, But on your mom's side, there is. And so we started talking about that, and I said, but this goes right in alignment with what we're studying on Sunday morning. You see, the inclination of people is to want to feel better about themselves or to put others down. You have this new thing taking place where people can study their DNA and find out exactly what their background is, exactly where they came from, and then you hear people talking about it. But nobody says, you know, like, I heard that my great uncle was Hitler. No one brings that part out as far as, like, shady people in their background. It's usually, I come from some kind of royalty at some place or wherever it is, or they just don't talk about it. When we come to Ephesians chapter 2, we began looking at this prior to Easter. Continue as we close the rest of this chapter and study the last few verses. But you see God address specifically this area of differences between Jews and Gentiles. Differences within the church. And we recognize that in different parts of the world, it's different than it is here. I've been to a lot of different places and seen the way people look at others in different parts of the world. Um, in a place like Romania, it's, uh, there's those that are gypsies that are very much looked down upon by the rest of the Romanians. They live in separate areas. Their houses are all different. They dress differently. But they're treated very, very differently. Um, people in different regions of that country are treated differently. You go to places like Vietnam and there's those that live in Ho Chi Minh City or what used to be Saigon and then there's those that live up in the highlands. They look different and they're treated very differently between the two. And you could do that in just about any part of the world. Go someplace and you find people and you find those that look different or speak a little differently and they're treated very different. We live in a little bit of a melting pot here. Here in South Orange County with so much diversity. But it doesn't mean that there is not the potential to have some of these things enter into our own church and things that we ought to be thinking about as far as how do we think biblically on these things. If children could be changed within minutes of having someone be their friend, not ever recognizing them to be brown-eyed, to minutes later being like, you're brown-eyed, and making fun of them. Same thing can happen within our culture, amongst our children. So let's come to the text, and I want to be able to read it in the context of of verses 11 and following. We'll be focusing on verses 19 through 22, but let's start in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 11. Okay. Remember, therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, 
having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I'll just stop in there for a moment as we look back at what we studied a few weeks ago. He's speaking specifically to the Gentiles, those who were not Jewish, saying that, do you remember when you were at the time where you were without Christ, aliens, strangers from that commonwealth of Israel, you weren't a part of the Israelites, strangers of the covenants, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now, when we see those words, but now, being significant to us this morning, something's changed. In Christ Jesus, you once who were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You see, brothers and sisters, the cross has changed everything for us. The cross has changed the way that we should view one another. The cross has changed the way that we should be viewing Gentiles and Jews, gypsies and others, the way that we view brown-eyed and blue-eyed, the way that we view all of those within God's church. We have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ, the cross has changed everything. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one. Now notice some of the words that are are being used. We have been made one. We have been united. He's broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two. Creating one from the two. Thus making peace. And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross. You hear that, that word one coming up over and over again. We see that he's made both one. He has created one new man. He has made one body. He goes on. And he came and preached peace to those who were far off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. And now the verse is before us starting in verse 19. Let's read verses 19 through 22. Now therefore... You are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit awesome passage for us this morning to study. You see, it's important for us to be able to look and say, who are we? What changes have taken place? What does it mean to be a believer? In the book of Revelation, in chapter 5, you see those who are in heaven, and, and they're singing a song. The song that's being sung are, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. 
You redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Think of that for a moment. There's a picture of us in heaven. And as we are there, there are people from every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation. All of them together, being there together, singing praises to God. And what they're saying together is you have redeemed us. You purchased us to God by your blood. You did this. You've brought us together. We are all here united. You've made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. And John says, then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands and thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is a lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. What, what is being sung there, the song of praise, is coming from, is coming from ten thousands times ten thousands and thousands from every tribe and every tongue and every people and every nation. Not only that, but it's coming from wealthy people and it's coming from impoverished people. It's coming from people with great family backgrounds and people with poor family backgrounds. It's coming from people who are highly educated and people who are illiterate. It's coming from all different kinds of people, all there together. There's no distinction between any of them. And they are there together, and we will be there as believers together, singing praises to him, attributing our salvation to the work of Christ upon the cross, him purchasing us. And there are no walls of separation. How does this impact us as believers? Um, Within the church, you'll find white churches. You'll find black churches. You'll find Korean churches or Japanese churches or all other kinds of different churches. Also within the church you'll find people that gravitate towards people that are like them, right? Even within a fellowship like this, we sometimes have a propensity to gravitate towards people that are similar to us. Same age, whether they're married or not married, whether they have kids or don't have kids. Similar interests, similar ways of thinking, You hear people say things like, I have a hard time connecting. And part of the reason is the culture within churches, the culture within people, the propensity of of people is to gravitate towards similar people. People that are easy to 
to be with. My encouragement to you this morning is to look at the text before us and say, is that a biblical way of thinking? I think not. As we go through, we're going to see that there is no differences between any of us as far as the way that we're viewed in the kingdom of God. There needs to be a change of thinking that that brings us to a place of unity that's here amongst us. Unity that looks and says it doesn't matter if this person's married or whether they have kids or whether they're elderly or whether they're a teenager. I desire to be one body that ministers one to another because we're the same. Every one of us is the same in the eyes of God. Every one of us will be together singing praises unto him to where some of these things that that cause divides within churches, maybe it's not an issue of race at our church, but to search our hearts and to say, are there areas in which it's, well, I don't know that person at all. It's always interesting to me to be at a church function where I see people and they're like, I'm sorry, I've never met you before. What's your name? And me who knows both of the people well, I always think like, I don't get it. How did they never meet each other? They've been here for years. How do they not know each other? And I started thinking, okay, well, they sit, they sit on this side. They sit on that side. They've never been to the same men's Bible study or women's Bible study, or they're not a part of the same community group or whatever it is. And it's always intriguing to me where I think, like, I don't get it. You guys are both actively involved. How do you not know each other? How are you meeting each other for the first time right now? And it's interesting to me. It's always where I'm like, I don't know. It has happened dozens and dozens of times where I'm like, I don't even get that. How do they not know each other? They should know each other by now. And, and I know that that's something that's common, especially people that are more prone to keep to themselves or more comfortable in that area. But my encouragement to you this morning is, may we grow in unity as a body. May we look at each other and think, I want to be able to reach out and be able to get to know people who I don't know very well. See people to where there's, there's a love and there's a bond and there's a unity that's there because we're Christians. Doesn't matter whether they have young kids and I, all my kids are growing up or I never got married or I don't have kids. Looking at it more of we are brothers and sisters in Christ and there is unity that is there because we are a part of his kingdom. It will be like that in heaven. It ought to be like that now. In Ephesians 2.19, it says, Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So to begin, he gives us here, as we look at this, there's three different illustrations that are given as far as where we are as God's people. The first is, you're a new nation. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners. There's no difference between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. There's no second-class Christians in the church. We are the same. A new nation. It's an interesting way of thinking because the people in that time thought very much nationally, whether they were the people of Israel, whether they were Romans, or wherever it was that they were from, that was their identity. 
was where they were from. And it was a big deal to be of the Roman Empire. Or they saw it to be a very big deal to be Jewish. Their identity was in that. I want you to understand that, that I, I feel so blessed to be an American. Having gone to several different countries, I feel incredibly blessed to be an American. If you've grown up here and you've never been outside of the United States, we are a blessed, blessed country. It's frowned upon to ever think of our country as being superior to any other kind of country. It's frowned upon to even to say things like that. And, and yet you might think differently if you were in prison in another country. When I think of, of different countries and what they're like, I, I look at a few different things to think about. One is where would I want to be in prison? I, I, I would for sure prefer to be in prison here than to be in prison. Well, I don't want to be in prison anywhere, but if I had to be, here is a whole lot better than a lot of other places. If you study around and look at different countries, what their prisons are like, it's a great place to be. I think of where would I want to be a woman? It's a lot better to be a woman here than in a lot of different parts of the world. Where would I want to be handicapped? Would definitely want to be handicapped here versus in a lot of different parts of the world. And when I say that, I say that because... You go to some places and people with handicaps are just treated so poorly and incredibly difficult for them to get from one place to another. I also think about where would I want to change religions? If I wanted to become a Christian, where would I want to be? Super thankful if I wanted to change to Christianity to be here versus being in a lot of different places where it would even mean being put to death. So we're blessed. We're blessed with a country that's not perfect, but a country that um, we ought to be very, very thankful for. At the same time, my identity and your identity ought not to be that we are Americans first or wherever it is that you're from. Where we are from, what we belong to, our identity ought to be first in we are Christians He's made a new nation, one in which we're no longer strangers and foreigners. We're pilgrims that belong to him, and we will journey through this world. The early church referred to this as a third, a third race, and that was Christians. They were different. They were different than everybody else. They belonged to one another. In Philippians 3.20, it says, For our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have our citizenship there. Belong to him. I pray that that would change the way that we view other countries as well. There's a sweetness in 
just even this last week, even over the last couple of days, exchanging emails with people in Africa or in other parts of the world where they're someplace else. They grew up in a radically different place than I did. Their life looks very much different than mine does currently. And yet there is just the sweet unity that is there because we're both believers. We belong to a different nation. And it's the kingdom of God. In 1 Peter 2 verse 9, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You who once were not a people, but are now the people of God and had not obtained mercy, but have now obtained mercy. Paul is exhorting the church here in Ephesians chapter 2 that they are, in fact, a holy nation. Now, therefore, change the way that you think. You are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints. There's unity that's there. Not only are we a new nation, but we also are a new family. Ephesians 2.19 continues to say, members of the household of God. Our citizenship is in heaven, but we, friends, are truly brothers and sisters in Christ. There's a unity that is there amongst believers where it ought to be so tight because of the fact that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're members of the household of God. Ephesians 3, 14 and 15, as we'll look at in some weeks ahead, says this, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. When it talks about that members of the household of God, it's referring to the whole family. Some are in heaven. Those are the believers who have died already. And some are here on earth. And those are the believers who exist right now. We are a part of what Paul says, the whole family or members of the household of God. At Romans eight fourteen, it says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. We're sons of God. We've been adopted into his kingdom. You see within the text here, things mentioned over and over again. You're members of the household of God. You're sons of God. You're children of God. You're adopted. We cry out, Abba, Father, together. We're heirs of God. We're joint heirs with Christ. It's family. Belong to one another. In the early 90s, I would go to Romania, and um, Ceausescu had just been put to death, the former leader in, in Romania, and, and prior to his death, he had um, 
encouraged so many births that, that the orphanages were overflowing and the people couldn't afford to keep the kids at home. And so you had orphanages filled with kids. Some of you are old enough to remember watching programs on, on, on television talking about these, these orphans that were in Romania. But we would go and we would see the orphanages, see these, these kids, and, and um, oh, the conditions were, were horrible. You'd see rooms filled with just crib after crib after crib after crib after crib after crib after crib. Kids would sit in soil diapers for hours. But they'd also be in, in, a, in a place where they'd only get picked up every once in a while. And one of the things that, that you would find amongst the kids, even as they got, got older, but especially amongst the little babies, is you would see them always trying to like touch their face and feeling themselves. And what they told us, and what I remember being there, is that they do that because it gives them some sense of, of, of pleasure to have some kind of touch. Because the kids just, they, they, they don't get touched by anybody. And, and I remember going there and just thinking like, oh man, if I wasn't so young or was married or if there was any way to take some of these kids home, I would have, I would have done it in a second. I mean, it was, it, it, it was heartbreaking to see these kids. And as they grew up, we would go and visit the orphanages year after year after year. And I would, I remember we, we'd, we'd pull up to the orphanage and, and the kids would just, come running towards the, the, the vans. So excited to see us. One is Andre, Andres, who is married to Kelly Gammy, who is now Andres, missionaries that we've served with for a long time. He was one of those orphan kids. And, and he said that, that when we'd come and share the love of Christ with them, it was different than any other time that they had, but that that, that was what the Lord used to bring him to faith is, is he would see the people come and think, whatever those people have, I want what they have. It's different than anybody we've ever met before. Now imagine being a kid growing up in an orphanage like that and being adopted into a family. All the rights of sonship or being a daughter. Being brought into a family and being made just like any one of the other kids being radically transformed into a different place to where you're no longer an orphan, you're no longer in an orphanage, you're no longer just hoping that someone picks you up or changes your diaper, but you are loved and cared for as if you're just a part of the family. That's what God has done for us. I know there's different people here from all different backgrounds, and some of you have great relationships with your parents, and some of you did not. Some of you have great relationships with family and some of you do not. The joy for us as believers is to know we have been adopted into the household of God. We belong to him. There are brothers and sisters who belong one to another that are a part of the same family and it's us. It's believers. A unity that is there that is different than anything that this world can offer. For many people here, myself included, relationships here can be closer or as close as family with people who are not family by blood. 
There's a unity that is there in which we see each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. We're family. My encouragement to you is may we become more like that. You've seen families where they're a little bit poor in their area of relationships where they don't see each other very often, don't talk to each other very much. Siblings that have very little contact with one another. And that's within families of blood families. May that not be the case in the church. May we fight that with everything that we have to where there is a deep, precious love one for another as we see each other as, as, see each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. The way that we forgive one another, the way that we care for one another, the way that we pray for one another, the way that we spend time with one another, the way that we love, genuinely love one another. I pray that that, that Reverence Bible Church would become what God's called us to be, not only a new nation, but a new family. Members of the household of God. Paul exhorts Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.1, Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. Younger men as brothers. Older women as mothers. Younger women as sisters with all purity. May there just be a sweetness amongst each other to where there's fathers who are here. Younger men that are like brothers. Women that are like mothers. Younger women who are like sisters. The sweetness of a church family. The last picture that we're given here in Scripture is that we're a new house, a new temple. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, it says, Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom, also, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Let's begin with the foundation. And we see in other situations where Paul refers to Christ as our foundation. But in this particular instance, he says in the, that, that we've been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. What it's talking about there, I believe, is, is the word of God. The foundation of scripture. Of what God has given us as he has inspired the pages of scripture the revelation that it came to the prophets and the revelation that came from the apostles, both the New Testament and Old Testament. We find that Ephesians 4.11 says, He gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. It's a specific role of apostles and prophets that were given to the church for the purpose of revelation, the foundation of God's word. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17, All scripture is given by inspiration of God, it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so we've been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, but Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, the chief cornerstone. It's talking about this temple that has been built. 
foundation there laid in the word of God through the apostles and the prophets. But this chief cornerstone being that of Jesus Christ himself. Him being that cornerstone. It's a picture that's given to us in the Old Testament in a number of different passages. But one that stands out is Psalm 118 as we read this morning. Where he says in verse 21, I will praise you for you have answered me. And you have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. And it's that picture that Christ later goes on to say in Matthew 21, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. And he's saying, and that chief cornerstone is me. It's Christ. And so you picture the temple. I read that in Jerusalem, the temple, the cornerstone was a, a slab that was 29 feet in its width. Massive. 29 feet in its width, this chief cornerstone. And the, the, this cornerstone, as it sat there, it wasn't something where it was like, well, that's, that's a, a, the way that we think of cornerstones sometimes as far as like, okay, that's where we will put different things to remember in that cornerstone or things like that. It was what they built that temple on to where everything else in the building was based off of that chief cornerstone. Cornerstone would be there, and, and everything had to line up with that. And if that chief cornerstone was gone, the whole temple was gone. Everything was centered and built upon that. And Jesus is saying here that he himself is our chief cornerstone. So we have a building. The foundation is based on God's word, and Christ is the chief cornerstone. And he is for us here as well. Everything in our church is centered upon Christ. Everything. Our hope is in the gospel. Our desire to be conformed into the image of God is through the gospel and through his enabling. Everything that we preach ought to be Christ and him crucified. Our worship needs to be centered upon him. Our lives need to be centered upon him. He is why we exist. He is why we live. He is every bit of our hope. He is our chief cornerstone. And so this picture is given of this new house, this new temple. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In whom also, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Scripture refers to us as living stones. What we are. He takes us. You have a foundation. You have the chief cornerstone. And then you have us. These living stones, these blocks that are being used to build something magnificent. Every one of us has a purpose. Every one of us is vital to that building. But God takes us and he uses us. And the passage here tells us we are being fitted together. The whole building being fitted together. And you can see the Holy Spirit doing that, right? He takes us, calls us to salvation, makes us living stones who were once dead, changes everything for us to where he is molding us and he is placing us and he is fitting us exactly where he wants us to be. 
It's the Lord doing that. When you go to some of those old cathedrals in Europe, ones that have been there for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, it's neat because you can see the stones that are there, but they've been there so long that they've kind of just like meshed together. Can't even see any kind of grout lines or anything like that. They're just together. They're there and they stand and they're beautiful. God has done that with us. Building blocks. And the building continues to grow, doesn't it? Think of what the church would have looked like in Ephesians. But imagine now as a couple thousand years have gone by, the Lord continues to build. He continues to save people. He continues to make this temple in which he is creating, this building in which he's creating, and we all belong to it. Jesus said to Peter, on this rock I'll build my church. The gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. He's building his church. The positions that we have. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. These building blocks in which he uses, which are us, living stones, God goes on to tell us that we grow into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom also you are being built together for the dwelling place of God in the Spirit. It's radical to think about. The unity that we have is based on the fact that the Holy Spirit resides in each one of us as believers. In every one of us. Now imagine being a Jew at that time where you're used to going to the temple you're only in, able to enter into the holiest of holies one time per year, and it was only allowed for one person at, to be able to do that. That was where God resided. And now he says, your bodies. There's a change that's taken place. He dwells in you. The Holy Spirit lives within us, shines brightly through us, glorifies the Father in us. And we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. These building blocks, not only are they building blocks, but we have the Holy Spirit residing in us. Awesome to think about. A unity that is there because every one of us has the Holy Spirit within us and he's using us as he decides to build us into who he's called us to be being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom also you are being built together. It continues for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Ephesians 4.16 says, For whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, 
according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. We are one body. We are one building. We are one family. We are one nation. There's a unity that exists for us as believers that is tighter than anything that this world could ever, ever possibly offer. And it ought to look like that. It ought to be like that. The unity that should be there should be such that we see that the blood of Christ has separated any kind of walls that would be there. Do you see the picture here of what Paul is emphasizing? Unity. Not Jew and Gentile. Not rich, not poor, not educated or uneducated. Not based on age. Not based on marital status, not based on whether you have kids, not based on whether you've been divorced, not based on any of those things, what your background is, whether you've been in prison, whether you've had other things that have gone on in your life. There is a unity that exists to where those walls of separation have been destroyed. You are a part of one nation. You are a part of one family. And you are being built up into one temple. And that ought to affect us, brothers and sisters. We ought to see each other through those lenses rather than through the kind of lenses that this world tries to do as far as they should be together and these people should be together and these people should hang out and those people should hang out and they have a lot in common. They should be friends. But looking at it rather as... May we think biblically... People who surround you are your brothers and sisters in Christ. You belong together. We serve together. We will praise him and give him glory for our salvation together. Ten thousands times ten thousands and thousands and thousands together. Before I close, I want to emphasize one last thing. We have an enemy that would do everything he can to cause division. He hates that kind of togetherness. He hates it. He hates it when there's unity in the body. He will do whatever he can to stir up discourse, division, hatred. Even within our own hearts, there may be people in whom we just think, ah, if I don't ever see that person again, I'm fine. Pray the Holy Spirit work in our hearts to bring unity to where there is a love for brothers and sisters in Christ. A family that is there, washed by the precious blood of Christ, one nation, one household, one temple. Be good for our souls to think biblically on these things. Be good for our souls not to look at a passage like this and be like, Yeah, I don't really have a struggle with that. But to have the Holy Spirit work in our hearts to say, yeah, this is an area where there needs to be change. May there be unity for us as a family. And I pray that the effect of that would be such that um, it's recognized by the whole world. We have been washed by the blood of Christ through faith in Christ. Saved, not because of our works 
but because of what Christ has done for us. That whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. The unity that is there is that. If you're here this morning and you're an unbeliever, today could be the day of salvation for you. One nation, one family, one temple, one house. And it's based upon faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit resident in our lives. Salvation that comes through grace alone, through faith alone, to the glory of God alone. May today be the day of salvation for you. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the unity that we have. It's so easy for us to divide. Blue-eyed, brown-eyed, age, background, similarities. Lord, I pray that you would separate those walls. May we see our new nation, kingdom of God, citizenship in heaven, as greater than any nation on this earth. May we see ourselves as a part of your kingdom far before we think of ourselves as American. May we see ourselves as one family. Lord, please do that. Fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters. A unity that's so precious and sweet that we stand with each other and care for each other. Pour into each other's lives. And may we see you as the great builder who is making one temple in whom the Holy Spirit resides. Living stones built perfectly one upon another as you see fit. Holy Spirit residing in each one of us, bringing great unity there, gifting each person in different ways so that you can make for yourself that which you desire that would be most for your glory and our good. Enable us to stir the gifts that we have up and be a blessing one to another and be thankful for the temple in which you have built. And I pray, Lord, that as a result of our study in Ephesians chapter 2, May there forever be a difference in the way that we see each other and the unity that is here as a church. Use this in our lives, Lord, and may you be glorified through it. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.